Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be together again this morning, isn't it? And to create the space for us to meet with God and to meet with each other. Um, it is a wonderful community that we're a part of here. And, and just to say on behalf of Sarah and myself, thank you so much for all your encouragement and your blessing last week. It was such an encouraging weekend. And thank you again, just to reiterate those thanks for everyone who put in so much hard work behind the scenes to make the whole weekend happen. Thank you so much. And thanks for sticking around and coming along this week. That's really good. That's encouraging too. It'd be a bit depressing when it's coming and sunny five. There's no one here. All gone. So um, just want to share a little bit um, this morning as we look ahead. We recognize we're stepping into a new era. There's been a transition of leadership. We've been so grateful for Billy and Caroline's leadership over the last 20 years, for Tony and Hannah's before that. And wasn't it wonderful to have Hannah with us last weekend? Absolutely brilliant. We didn't realize Hannah was here on the Sunday morning until uh, Caroline invited down to the stage. So we're all privileged to have her as part of that journey. And Billy and Caroline are still around, they're still with us, but we recognize that I suppose the mantle, as it were, has, has been passed to Sarah and myself. And so we step into a new era, and we've had that prophesied for us as a church as well. So I want to share a little bit as we look ahead. But before we look ahead, I want to go back, and I want to go back to the 90s. Does anyone recognize this? Do you remember those posters i was we were students in the 90s and virtually everyone in their bedroom had these posters on their wall now if you haven't seen one before i'm wondering what it's just a random bunch of dots it's one of those magic 3d posters so i want to see if anyone can spot what the 3d image actually is and if you haven't done this before what you need to do is slightly blur your eyes make yourself go ever so slightly cross-eyed and something will emerge can anyone see it? What is it, Ben? Yes, Ben, it's a big O. Well done. Who saw the O? About two people in the room. Okay, okay, next one, next one, okay. Can you see what this is? What was that? Can anyone see it? Yes, Ben, what sort of marine animal? Uh, animal? You have to go really cross-eyed, that's the trick. Is anyone further back getting this? Anyone can see what this one is? It's a marine animal. animal, animal. <laughs> I can't say the word animal today. Shark, who said shark? It's a shark, Dan, it's a shark. Okay, one more. Hopefully you're getting your eyes in with this one now. Um, what is this? <laughs> it's not a penguin. I'm trying to get in there, it takes a while. Can anyone see it? It's quite good. It's a bit more 3D, this one. Ben, what is it? Can you tell? Dan, can you see it? What is it, Dan? I'll get, uh, this one's harder because I could see a 3D image in it, but it's hard to work out what it is. It's a squirrel with some nuts. Can you see it? Can you see it, man? Can you see it? So, so probably for like 98% of you, you are probably thinking, uh, there's a few people in this room who are just like off the planet and out of their tree. 
But if you can see this, you can actually see some 3D images. And it was fascinating because I put this PowerPoint together yesterday and I'd wor- I'd be, I ended up really kind of boss-eyed because I'd been spending hours going through images on, um, on, online just to make sure that they were safe ones and trying to find the best one. And I couldn't really see straight because I'd been crossing my eyes too much. And I said, Sarah, come and have a look at these. We spent ages looking. So can, can you see an O? No, can't see anything. Sarah couldn't see any of them. And then I gave it a go with uh, Bethan this morning, and within a second, and she'd never done this before, first one she went, it's an O, Dad. So the reality is, some people can see it, but many can't. Takes a little bit of time to get used to it. And actually, life is a bit similar to that, isn't it? There are some people who can see things that others can't. Now, at the start of 1903, it was still a dream to be able to fly like the birds. No one had ever flown under a powered flight with sustained flight. There had been a few hot air balloons and there would be some gliders. You can't get very far on a glider and hot air balloon just takes you wherever you want to go and uh, you get blown by the wind. But there was no way of getting in the air, staying in the air and going where you wanted to go. Mass transport by air, as we see it today, felt impossible. Most people could not imagine that that could ever happen. But then along came Wilbur and Orville Wright. They were bicycle mechanics, lived in Kitty Hawk in the United States, and they had a vision. They believed if they could build an engine that was light enough, they could attach it to a glider and build an aeroplane that was able not only to get off the ground, but to stay off the ground and go wherever you wanted it to go. So on the 17th of December, 1903, towards the end of that year, Orville sat, or actually lay, you can see him lying there, lay at the controls of the right flyer, and he flew it 37 meters. The flight was over in 12 seconds, but it was a complete revolutionary breakthrough. By the end of that winter day, they had two more flights. The next flight, Wilbur had a go, and he managed to get 53 meters. And they did one more that got into the 60s. At the end of that day, there were two men who had been able to claim that they had flown Powered, sustained flight. The only two people in the entire history of the world who had flown effectively in a powered way and a sustained way. 100 years later, 2003, 2004, the annual passenger numbers uh, globally, 2 billion. 2 billion people flew in the year 2003, 2004. That was a third of the population of the planet at the time. In 2819, the highest figures to date, has dipped slightly, 4.5 billion people. The Wright brothers had a vision, and it was a vision that many people just couldn't see, that one day humans will be able to fly like birds, and they put all of their energy into realizing that vision. And true vision, God's vision, is often impossible looks impossible when we first see it. 
When we first glimpse Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, the first thing we see is, when we first glimpse him as an adult, the first thing we see is him at his baptism. He comes, John the Baptist baptizes him, Holy Spirit comes on him like the dove. Then Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But the next glimpse we get after that is of Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth. It's his hometown. He's come, it's the Sabbath, and he gets up, he's handed the scroll, he opens it, and this is what Luke tells us. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then Jesus made this extraordinary statement. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus had seen something. Jesus knew something that no one else could see yet. What he was declaring in that statement was the fact that the kingdom of heaven had come. The kingdom of heaven, as prophesied by Isaiah, had come in that moment. And he was ushering it in. At this point, Jesus hadn't restored anyone's sight. He hadn't set anyone free from demonic oppression. He hadn't even preached the good news, any good news yet. And the people in the synagogue could not see it. In fact, they were so livid with what he said, they took offense at what he was saying, that they actually mobbed him, they took him out of the synagogue, and they took him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off because they were incensed and they couldn't see what it was that Jesus could see. They couldn't see what God wanted to do. And yet those who followed Jesus those who chose to not abandon him at that point, but start to walk with him within just a few weeks, they began to see. They began to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth and the reality of it. So a few weeks later, we're in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. It's a town there. Jesus is in the synagogue again on the Sabbath, and he casts a demon out of a man. That afternoon, then, he's back at Simon Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who's sick and in a fever. And then we read this in Luke chapter 4, that same evening. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. The followers now, those who've chosen to chase after him, to walk with him, are now seeing the good news preached. The blind see, the oppressed set free. They are witnessing the time of the Lord's favor, just as Jesus has declared and just as Isaiah had prophesied all those hundreds of years ago. The kingdom of heaven was coming. And it's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus teaches us to call for, to call down, to pray for. The Lord's Prayer right at the start says, doesn't it, your kingdom come, your will be done. And at the end, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. We have been taught by Jesus to ask the Father 
to send the kingdom, to release the kingdom on earth. So what is the kingdom of heaven, this phrase that Jesus used so frequently? The kingdom of heaven is God's rule and reign. That is anything and everything that is fully submitted to the rule of God and is actively following the will of God. So that's men and women who've laid down their lives for Jesus, been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's families who've chosen to honor God in the way they live out their lives and their relationships and the way they bring up their children, putting others before themselves. It's institutions and organizations who are committed to raising people out of poverty and fighting injustice in godly ways. It's walking with the brokenhearted, as Jesus did. It's healing the sick through medicine and through miracles. It's submitting our ego and our independence and our wealth, even submitting our church to God's rule and reign, to be used in whatever way he would use us. It's laying down our sword at his feet. In ancient times, when uh, there was a warrior who was a strong warrior, for back in the days when you fought with swords, maybe an independent fighter, but if that warrior chose to pledge allegiance, lifelong allegiance to a particular ruler or king, they would take their sword, which was their, I suppose, their own self-defense, their own prowess, and they'd go and they'd lay it down at the feet of the king that they chose to serve as a way of saying, I give you my independence, I give you all my power, and I choose to lay it down at your feet. It's laying down our swords at the feet of Jesus, that from there on in, they would be fighting for that king and for his cause. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and fill us and lead us to supernaturally bring the life and hope of Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit expressed through us. And it's the way that people in this church, so many of you, are living each and every day. God's will is that his creation should flourish and thrive, that his joy and peace and love would fill every corner of our lives and every corner of society. That's his kingdom. That his good and beautiful and kind and generous rule. In he demonstrated the kingdom in the way he brought his miracles and the way he preached. And he tells us that we should seek the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. We're not here to live a cozy Christian life. We're not here to build a great church. We're here to partner with God to build his kingdom. Follow the king. Just as the warrior who lays down his sword then follows the orders of the king and willingly obeys. So kingdom people follow King Jesus and do what he asks. And um, for us as individuals and as a church, there are three things that Jesus calls us to do and asks us very specifically in order to follow him. 
famous passage in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? His response is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he says this, which is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then as Jesus says his last words before ascending back into heaven, he says this to his disciples, to his followers, and also to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So by following these three commands together, we live out the way of the kingdom. We love God. We love each other. And we grow the kingdom by going and sharing the good news of Jesus with the world around us. Our mission as a church is a kingdom mission. It is that we would change lives and transform communities. And our vision as a church is a kingdom vision. To see the whole church following the way of Jesus making disciples and bringing life and transformation to every area of Southampton and beyond. Because the good news of Jesus is all about transformation. It's about personal transformation as people encounter Jesus, are set free, step into a new future. So encouraging to hear the journey that Alan's been on and just seeing God bring him to a greater experience of life and the wholeness and the fullness that God always had planned for Alan. And it's also about societal transformation. That as transformed and empowered people like Alan, and all of us here, are changed and transformed, so we bring the life and the love of Jesus to those around us and the circumstances and the situations that we walk in. We bring his wisdom, we bring his grace, and we partner with people of peace to see his kingdom come. Wonderful, Alan, I know, joins Grace now out on the streets on Tuesdays and goes and talks to people in the park about what Jesus has done for him. Doesn't keep it to himself, but takes it out and shares his story with others that others would discover the goodness and the hope and the wholeness that he is discovering himself. God's plan is to renew all things. Because Jesus is making all things new, restoring everything to himself. And the good news for all of us and for our culture and for society is that we can be part of it. Part of God's plan and purpose to make all things new, to restore to what was always meant to be. That beautiful order of the Garden of Eden, that one day there will be a full restoration of all things. A new heaven and a new earth where we walk with God. Where creation is restored, where sin is done with, and we live a new life. And the good news is that we can be part of that. So how do we share the good news? We do it in two ways, just as Jesus did. We demonstrate it, and we proclaim it. You know, we demonstrate the good news by the way we care for one another, why we le- well, the way we love others, our consistency and love to our friends, the way we serve our neighbors and our colleagues and the people in the school playground and through community cafe and community hub and our missional communities and on our front line and our places of work, by praying for others and being available to be used by God supernaturally. 
just as Jesus demonstrated. He demonstrated feeding the hungry by letting the children come to him when everyone wanted to keep them away, by touching the leper that no one else would touch, by bringing healing and transformation and new life. But Jesus also proclaimed the good news. He told people the story of hope that they could step into. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can people believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? There comes a time, no matter how well we demonstrate the good news, that we do have to speak. Jesus didn't only demonstrate, he also taught about the kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He taught in parables and explained who God was and how we could know him. And for those of you who followers of Jesus in this room, just have a think back to how you came to faith. It might have been through your family, through your parents, through a friend, through a colleague, through a stranger. You may have seen them do wonderful things, but it wasn't just because you saw good examples of living well for Jesus. There came a point where someone spoke to you about Jesus, where you had to understand who he was and what it was about. There's an often quoted phrase which is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but if you go on the internet, it's not from St. Francis of Assisi, apparently. And the internet is always right. But this is, I've often heard this quoted, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I think it's a really misleading statement. I understand what it's trying to say, but it's misleading because it is always necessary at some point to use words, to share the hope that we have within us. But the point that it is making, which is a good one, is that those words will carry so much more power if people have seen us demonstrate the goodness of the kingdom before we actually get to the point of having to explain who Jesus is and how wonderful he is and how they can get to know him too. I, um, a few years ago, about 10 years ago or so, I did my, all my commercial flying training and it was a, quite an intense time. And I was flying out of flying school in Bournemouth and uh, one of the other guys going through the training as well um, was a guy who used to be in the RAF and he'd, he'd lived the life. He'd uh, got up to all sorts of things. He had some very funny stories and some slightly terrifying stories about what he got up to. And uh, we got on well. Um, and he knew that I was a Christian. Uh, we didn't particularly talk about God or anything like that, but uh, we got on well and we kind of loosely kept in touch um, and uh, gradually lost touch over time. And then about five years ago, I got a call completely out of the blue from him. And he phoned me up and said, Theo, can I, can I chat to you? It's like, yeah, sure, great to hear from you. What are you doing? How's life? He said, life's was pretty rubbish, actually. He had some really difficult challenges, particularly a relationship had broken down, and he was in a really, really deep and dark place. But he'd spoken to a friend of his from the RAF who had come to faith, and he said, you need to talk to someone about, about Jesus, about what, what, what church is and how you can come to know Jesus. So um, Graham thought of me. And he said to me as he spoke on the phone, he said, Theo, I saw, I, saw how you, I saw who you were and how you lived. And can I talk to you about Jesus? And I was just relieved, I guess, that my example had actually pointed him towards Jesus and rather than the other way. 
in living out my life in a just a flying environment, I was relieved to say that he had seen something of the demonstration of the good news of Jesus. And then came the point where I was able to explain it to him and talk to him about Jesus and pray for him. Colossians 1 verse 6 says this. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The good news is going out and it is powerful and it's changing lives. You heard that testimony this morning. And that's as true today as it was in Paul's time. In the West, we don't see as much evidence of it as we would like. But so many parts of the world, it is spreading like wildfire. Places like Iran and China and many others. And we want to partner with God to see his kingdom come like that as a community. We don't want to miss out on what the Holy Spirit is doing. So what does it look like for new communities as we step into a new era? to partner with God in building his kingdom. Well, there are two very specific prophetic words we've had over recent years, which are really key, I believe, to what God is saying to us. The first was actually a while ago, back in 2006. You may remember it, those who've been around for a while, Sue Singh brought a word, and it was a picture of a cruise ship. The church was the cruise ship, and everything was very comfortable. We had lots of people on the cruise ship. And the, church went, the cruise ship went through a cloud. As it came out of the cloud, it had been transformed. No longer was it just a cruise ship, but it was a warship. Sounds like an aircraft carrier. I like aircraft, so an aircraft carrier is good for me. Aircraft carrier with planes on it and guns and all those sorts of things. And also, a whole load of fishing vessels. And there was the sense of that there were slightly fewer people on the warship because many were in the fishing vessels going out to reach out to their communities to bring life and to bring hope. But these fishing vessels would come and go. The warship was there for protection. And also when people needed time out, they'd come back to the warship to receive healing. People coming to faith could come to the warship and grow in their faith. But this sense of mission for warship and fishing vessels going out for mission. And then back in 2019, probably just about three months before we all got locked into our houses, I was at Windsor at a gathering of church leaders uh, nationally, and uh, a a well-respected prophet called Julian Adams uh, called me out and uh, gave me a prophetic word, but part of it was this. God is going to begin to unlock a relational, family-driven, missional community that is not going to be about the numbers, but about the culture of the kingdom that is going to be released. I feel like even in this entrepreneurial dynamic, it's not going to be about ticking the boxes of numbers. It's going to be about carrying grace to be able to take family or mission together. It's literally like I can see a hub church in the center where you are. It's like there'll be this wheel all around you of communities that you're going to help pioneer and establish as the kingdom of God comes into some of those areas. Get ready for that. It's exciting what God wants to do through us, what he's spoken over our church. And over the last year, we've been pioneering some missional communities, those fishing vessels, um, or that relation, family-driven mission. And we believe that missional communities are a key part of the strategy that God has for us to partner with him to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Southampton and beyond. And we also recognize the importance of gathering together, that warship, that hub that was described there. 
where we worship, we equip, we encourage, and we send one another out, where we create place and space for healing, as we've done this morning. So we are going to continue to meet weekly here at Central Hall, alongside continuing to develop and release more missional communities, some of which may meet out some Sundays. And behind the scenes, we're changing the shape of the way we organize things to align with the mission and to recognize some of the prophetic input that God has given to us. So I'm going to, in a moment, show you a nice diagram. Hope you like it. But first, we asked the question, how do we reach our city for the good news of Jesus? And we felt it's important that we gather, we inspire, we send, and having sent, that we resource. And so this is a reflection of that. So, picture coming up. There we go. Lots of happy people. In fact, it's all the guys are happy and worshipping, and I think the, the ladies are just slightly embarrassed by the men, is what I can tell. Um, I was limited in the icons I could find on the internet when I put this together. But effectively, what this is, is recognizing that organizationally, we have a core at the center, and we also, therefore, out on our front lines of mission, have people, everyone out in their front lines, in the schools and colleges and universities and workplaces and doing their thing every day. And also, we have some missional communities, and we have some projects. So at the core, as well, we have a service. That's our gathering here at Central Hall, where we gather to encourage, equip, and release. We've also created a new team. We uh, prayed them in last week. And within that team, we have people responsible for um, fulfilling effectively, encouraging us to fulfill those three, four areas of uh, loving God, loving each other, going on mission, and making disciples. So we have a team that is there, but the team there is not to serve a service. The team is there to exhaust and equip and encourage and release the rest of us as we go about our week. And those of us on the front line do that in two ways. We're on the front lines, we're out as individuals in our workplaces, just hopefully being witnesses and agents of change for the kingdom of God. But also, as we gather in missional communities, missional communities being those places where we gather together around a, a shared passion. It might be a focus on a geography, it might be a focus on a particular people group or a particular ac activity type, like cycling or baking. But also we have our projects that very specifically serve in areas. We've got New Community Kibera, we've got CCTS, we've got the Community Hub. That They become the places where we gather together and serve together as well as being out in our individual places and spaces. And just to say about Sholing, it's been wonderful to have Sholing join us. Sholing, a congregation planted out in about 2006, I think, initially at West End, but they've been on a remarkable journey over recent months, recognizing that God has been calling them to transition to a missional community. They've had to move out of St. Andrews, the church building they're in. They've moved in on Sundays to the British Legion over in Sholing and are getting embedded in the community. So we're recognizing that Sholing have undergone that transition from congregation to missional community and are really seeing fruit as God places them in a new location and will be joining us once a month, which is wonderful. So that's the shape that we recognize behind the scenes is looking a little bit different from what we had before, more of a congregational model. But we also recognize and really sense God saying that he is calling us to strengthen our foundations of the word and the spirit. 
Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot build the kingdom. It's just all good works and human effort, which is okay. But it's not kingdom. It's not the power to bring transformation that the Holy Spirit gives. It's as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit that equips us to really release life. So we're going to be creating opportunities to encourage us to step out afresh in new ways in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're starting when we have our day away uh, on the 26th of November. If you haven't signed up, sign up quick. The early bird rate runs out soon. Um, come and join us. We've invited Julie and Sarah Riches to come, who are church leaders over in Swansea and really good at just helping us step into some of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in fresh ways, not just for ourselves in the church, but for those beyond us. And we recognize that without being founded on his word, that is scripture, we lose sight of what the good news really is, of who God is, of who he's made us to be. We lose the opportunity for him to speak to us through scripture. And we risk getting blown from pillar to post by whatever the latest good idea or ideology is in our culture. So we will be looking closely at the Bible. We'll be asking, what does it say about God and us? What does it speak into our culture? And we'll be looking at some of the cultural challenges that we experience around us through the lens of Scripture. What does God say and speak into the culture around us? But it's in seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God starts with us seeking the king. Because without the king, there is no kingdom. Caroline prophesied over Sarah and myself and over us as a church in this next era the words revelation, revelation, revelation. And on Monday, we as a leadership team, we gathered uh, as we started to every week and we worshipped and we prayed. And as we were praying, Sarah just noticed Jane and she was praying, but she just had her finger over her lips like that. I don't think Jane was aware. And it led Sarah to the passage in 1 Samuel 3 where... Um, Samuel has heard a voice, thinks it's Eli, I'm not sure. Eli says it's probably God and instructs him what to do next time he hears it. So it says, the Lord came and stood there calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. And we believe that God is calling us to begin this new era, seeking him and listening to what he has to say. We know that we have been called to follow the way of Jesus, to make disciples, and bring life and transformation to every area of Southampton and beyond. That's the vision God's called us. We know that's what he's called us to. We know that he's spoken to us about reorganizing behind the scenes for new organizational structure to facilitate that. But we need his power and his revelation to lead us into this new era. That we would fulfill the vision in the way he calls us to. Not just to our own human effort and good ideas. We need to say to Jesus, to our Lord and King, speak for your church is listening. And so we are calling this church to prayer for three months in November December and January. We would like to invite all of you to come and join us on that journey. The aim would be that we will put the first week of the month aside for prayer, to pray in our households and our connect groups and our pan groups and our missional communities and with our friends. And then on the first Thursday of each of those months, I'd like to ask you if you're able to, to fast on that day and then join us 
together, the whole church with children and teenagers and families as well, to join us here to pray from 7 to 8 p.m. on that Thursday evening. And we're going to make it 7 to 8 p.m. sharp. We'll start at 7, whether you're here or not. We'll finish at 8, whether you're ready to finish or not, so that we know it's that time together. And what we want to do is to pray and to listen, to hear what God wants to say. Trusting as we do that he will lead us and that he will guide us. Because he can see what we can't see yet. He can see how his kingdom can utterly transform city and our region and transform lives and right now that may look impossible you may be sitting here going you know um i'll never lead anyone to jesus i've tried it doesn't work no one's really interested look at culture churches across the country are shrinking this is just a pipe dream maybe we can just focus on our own faith journey and Make sure that we keep those in the church in the church and get going on that journey. You know, there's days when I've felt the same. The task seems so big. It's easy to want to retreat. It's easy to get disappointed. But at the start of 1903, sustained power of flight looked impossible. No one except for one or two individuals could foresee the future where we would travel around the world at great speed, with great ease. It all felt too hard. It felt impossible. It was just a pipe dream. But then on the 17th of December, 1903, at the end of that year, Orville Wright flew for 12 seconds and 36 meters. And we entered into a new era. Only 16 years later, the first non-stop transatlantic flight took place. Alcock and Brown in 1919 flew across the Atlantic from the States, landed in Ireland, a distance of 1,890 miles. And it all started with 36 meters. Only 50 years later, a man had walked on the moon, a distance from the earth of 238,855 miles. What looked impossible in 1903 has become commonplace. 4.5 billion passengers traveling in 2019. Is it possible that God could use us and the other churches in Southampton to build his kingdom here in a remarkable way? So we're going to spend some time over the next three months seeking the king and asking him to show us how we can partner with him to build his kingdom in Southampton and beyond. As I finish, and I'm aware, the children went out a little bit late, so they're fine. You don't need to go and collect them just yet. I want to read something that some of you have heard before, and I wasn't sure whether to share it again or not. We did an exercise back at the start of 2019 when we just asked God to give us a sense of vision for the future of what was possible in our city and for our church. And this was written from the perspective of sitting in 50 years time, 2075, and looking back and almost writing the history from that perspective of what God has done. 
over between the years of 2025 and 2075. It's as though we're ahead in the future looking back at what God's done. So I'm going to read it again. In the early 2020s, a new focus and resolve grew within the community of New Community Church to seek God's face. A new culture began to emerge where it was not unusual to find members of the community rising in the early hours of the morning to seek God in prayer. A new hunger for God's presence grew and became infectious that led people to their knees on their own with their friends and with their families. Stories began to emerge of Jesus appearing in visions and dreams of people receiving revelation about colleagues and neighbors and friends that led to them in turn being healed, experiencing breakthrough and encountering God for themselves. In church meetings, the presence of God became so powerful on occasions that many were unable to stand and a great awe and desire for holiness came over everyone. Numbers grew as people hungry for God started to hear what was going on and would turn up at meetings or knock on the door of those they knew attended New Community Church. As the church grew, so did the impact on the city around it as those empowered by their fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit lived for him with renewed passion and brought a fresh hope to those around them in their places of work, schools, colleges, neighborhoods and streets. There was something different about these Christians and those around them began to notice, to ask questions, curious and intrigued. A new confidence grew in those in the church to share openly and honestly in the power of the Holy Spirit and stories of neighbors and colleagues powerfully turning to Christ became commonplace. As this fruit began to grow, new Christians in different sectors, business and health and education and many others, began to gather and seek God for their area of influence. Fresh innovation and organizational change began to emerge that transformed many sectors of society within the city. Increasingly, these changes began to be noticed beyond Southampton, and others began to visit the city to explore the new models and innovative changes, taking the ideas home with them and bringing change to their organizations and communities. As the effects of these fresh ideas took root, the city itself began to change. New jobs were created, neighborhoods were transformed, divorce, teenage pregnancy, and crime rates dropped as family relationships stabilized and spiritual and economic hope increasingly filled the city. Regionally, nationally, and internationally, governments and NGOs began to ask, what is the secret behind the transformation of Southampton? As they send officials and researchers to determine the factors that have brought such significant change, they start to discover that behind each and every significant change were followers of Jesus. Sometimes an individual, sometimes a small group of them, sometimes an entire community who had been transformed by their encounters with Jesus as they had sought his face in prayer and worship and scripture. Arriving one day on the doorstep of New Community Church, a young researcher asked the leader, how did it all begin? The leader simply replied, everything started to change when we learned what it really meant to be disciples of Jesus. And we began to pray. It's a big dream, isn't it? Maybe it's too big. But maybe, just maybe, it's a God dream. Maybe it's what God dreams over our city. Maybe it's an overflow of his heart for the brokenhearted and the oppressed and the addicted. 
for those who have lost hope on what might happen if just a small part of it, just the tiniest part of it, becomes reality. I'd like to finish by asking us to stand. And I'd like us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Just asking that his kingdom will come and his will will be done. In our church, in our city, in those regions and areas beyond where we're involved. And this is a prayer not just for New Community Church. We want to see the whole church across the city used by God in this way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Theo. So many years ahead of direction, focus, steps, stories. Uh, you know, let's walk with faith to see where God moves next. Um, children's groups, children are. Uh, I've had a great morning this morning and are ready to be collected. Parents, do. Speak